0: Let's press on to thinking about design in the context of the evolution part two in, in talking about intelligent design theory at a biological level rather than a cosmic level. Stephen Mayer says that the uh, theory of intelligent design holds that there are telltale features of living systems and the universe that are best explained by an intelligent cause. So it's a very minimal claim Compatible with all sorts of different worldviews, but not with a naturalistic, materialistic worldview. The theory does not challenge the idea of evolution defined as change over time, or necessarily even common ancestry, but it does dispute Darwin's idea that the cause of biological change over time is wholly, wholly blind. And undirected. So it's questioning that Darwinism bit of the grand evolutionary story. Indeed, I've argued in papers that I've published that there are three core claims of intelligent design theory. One, that we have empirical evidence that passes to reliable design detection criteria. Three, to warrant a scientific inference to intelligent design as the best explanation of the evidence. And the first two are more important than the third, um, which is certainly he's claiming that that inference to design is a scientific thing to do. Um, but you know, if it turns out that it's a philosophical thing to do, I don't really mind. The real question is, is it a warranted thing to do? Is it, a, is it true? <laughs> right. uh, is it a scientific inference? Well, many atheists like Richard Dawkins, Bradley Monton, Thomas Nagel, Victor Stenger will accept that ID is a scientific theory. They just think it's a false one. But they say, yes, yeah, science is just bad science. And as Thomas Nagel says, a purely Semantic, now how we define stuff again. Semantic classification of a hypothesis or its denial as belonging or not to science is of limited interest to someone who wants to know whether the hypothesis is true or false. Because once you've accepted that claims can be true or false, whether or not they're scientific, that there's more to rationally warranted true or false claims about reality than science, science isn't the whole picture, then you can say okay well it's not science but it's it's good philosophy and it's true. So I would actually argue that if it turned out that intelligent design was a true explanation I'd just say well it's really implausible not to just call it science. I mean what are you going to do? Transfer loads of funding from the science department down the corridor, across the campus to the philosophy department to better understand how the physical world actually came about. Um, that just seems really implausible. You're going to keep the funding with the people with the microscopes and the knowledge how to use it and just call it, yeah, they're doing science. Right. So. What about the second claim here that we do have reliable design detection criteria? Well, we've already touched on one way of doing this, just to refresh your memory, from Bill Craig here, noting that as a basis for a positive design inference, in addition to high improbability, there also needs to be conformity to an independently given pattern. When we have that, that gives us this idea of specified complexity, which tips us off to design and he gives that poker game example of all the hands in poker being equally and highly improbable, but if every time a certain player is in charge of dealing the cards, they always end up with all four aces, and that keeps happening, you know, it becomes really implausible not to suspect them of cheating. And they can't allay your doubts by saying, why are you accusing me of cheating? After all, any hand of cards that you're dealt is equally and highly improbable. I'm just really, really lucky in always getting the cards that are specified by this rule of the game that we're all playing happens to let me keep winning. If you want to go into the mathematics and the philosophy of this more, you need to delve into books by uh, the American uh, philosopher and mathematician uh, Bill Dembski, uh, like his book The, Divi- the Design Inference, uh, which he's coming out with uh, a second edition of. Uh, soon, I hear, which is very interesting, or uh, the co-authored book, uh, Introduction to Evolutionary Informatics. Now, here's Dawkins on specified complexity. He says, you and I are machines of complexity of a magnitude to challenge credulity. But I appreciate the fact that he's going to delve deeper into defining what he means by complexity here and say he doesn't just mean unlikely, he says, complexity here means statistical improbability in a non-random direction. The direction of seeming designed for a purpose. So he's saying, I'm not just talking about unlikeliness here. I think what he's really talking about is specified complexity, is a plausible indicator of design. Indeed, in an op-ed in Free Inquiry magazine some years ago, he said this. Specified complexity takes care of the sensible point that in the unique disposition of its parts, a pile of detached watch parts tossed around in a box is as improbable as a fully functioning, what he calls genuinely complicated watch. I mean, any arrangement of those watch parts is one possible arrangement of those watch parts out of all of the possible arrangements of those watch parts in the box, right? But there is something significant about looking into the box and finding a watch, compared to looking into the box and finding a pile of watch bits. And this is captured by this notion of specified Complexity. He says what is specified about a watch is that it is improbable, yes, but in the specific direction of telling the time. It achieves this function, this functionally independently given target. So we seem to have reliable detection criteria, and that seems to be accepted even by Richard Dawkins, for example. Well, do we have empirical evidence in the biological realm that will pass that kind of test? Again, Dawkins, he says, at the bottom of my garden is a large willow tree and it's pumping downy seeds into the air containing DNA whose coded characters spell out specific instructions for building willow trees, it's raining instructions out there it's raining programs this is not a metaphor, it's the plain truth Life requires information and a specific, uh, significant sense of that term In 1953, Francis Crick and James Watson announced their discovery of the three-dimensional double helical spiral structure of the DNA. In 1958, Crick theorised that the sequence specificity of amino acids in the proteins derived from a prior specificity of arrangement in the nucleotide bases of the DNA molecule, which functioned just like alphabetic letters in an English text or binary digits in software or a machine code. Experiments in the 1960s established that the sequential arrangement of amino acids that determine the folding and thus the function of proteins is indeed encoded within the rungs of the twisting DNA ladder. Since the 1960s therefore it's been apparent that as origin of life researcher Bernd Ulf Coopers observed, the problem of the origin of life is clearly basically equivalent to the problem of the origin of information. As William Collier points out, by the mid-1960s the Hungarian-British scientist and philosopher Michael Polanyi realised that this information was independent of the DNA strand and that in fact it, it had to be independent. The DNA code could be recorded on paper, magnetic tape, computer hard drives or books, like any other kind of specified information. This information was extrinsic and independent of the medium that carried it and completely unexplainable by any known chemical or physical phenomena implying that the living cell could never be reduced or explained by natural laws. Starting with Plonnet's landmark 1967 paper Life transcending physics and chemistry, which you can find online. The scientific recognition that information in this sense lies at the root and heart of biology has formed the basis for increasingly sophisticated arguments against reductive explanations of life in terms of physical law and or chance, and for the need to incorporate an appeal to intelligence into any causally adequate explanation of organic life. So, as Stephen Meyer argues in um, his uh, signature book on this, would be Signature in the Cell, uh, he argues there's simply too much information in the cell to be explained by chance alone. The information in DNA and RNA has also been shown to defy explanation by forces of chemical necessity. I mean, saying otherwise would be like saying a headline arose as the result of chemical attraction between ink and paper. DNA functions like a software program, and we know from experience that software comes from programmers. Uh, The the arrangement uh, of the parts in the the DNA is a little bit like you can make an analogy with fridge magnets. I showed you some fridge magnets (laughs) earlier. Um, You can explain why the fridge magnets stay on the fridge by appealing to the force of magnetism. But the arrangement of, say, you've got alphabet letters, fridge magnets, the, the sequence of the letters that are attached to the fridge, you can't explain in terms of the magnetic forces. And indeed, if you could, if the magnetic forces determined the sequence of the letters, well, then, of course, you could only ever communicate one message or one arrangement of those parts. The, the communicative function would at least be highly curtailed. The fact that it's an arrangement that specifies the protein order and folding to the function, etc., from out of the DNA arrangements as a code means that you can't give this kind of reductive explanation for it. Now, you may, alongside specified complexity, I've heard of this term of irreducible complexity, which is a term coined by the American uh, uh, biologist Michael Behe in his book uh, Darwin's Black Box, and he's talking about the way in which there are these little nano-machines running uh, the processes of life inside our cells, made up of lots of different proteins working together to achieve various functions together. So, Behe says, by irreducibly complex, I mean a single system composed of several well matched, kind of integrated, interacting parts that contribute to achieving a basic function. Wherein the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to effectively cease achieving that, that function. Uh, for example, some bacteria have this little what is clearly basically an an outboard motor uh, with a long uh, tail-like propeller going through some bushings uh, into a a rotor uh, engine uh, in the bacteria, propels it along. Uh, And if you took away the propeller well it wouldn't propel along, if you took away the proteins that made the the rotor engine, it wouldn't Propeller long because it wouldn't. If you took away the, the connecting universal joint between the propeller and the, it, wouldn't work. So on, you need all the bits together for it to work. Now, Beeke argues that an irreducibly c- complex system like this can't evolve directly by slight successive modifications because before you've got all the bits, you're not achieving the function. Now, that doesn't rule out something evolving by some sort of indirect route, he notes. Uh, But, an IC system is very unlikely to evolve indirectly and as the complexity of an interacting system increases, the likelihood of such an indirect route of evolution drops. So if these IC systems are sufficiently complex, evolution by adaptationary little step changes gradually over time becomes a really implausible explanation, indeed it's really a specific kind of example of specified complexity So we end up with an argument that goes something like this One specified complexity is a reliable indicator of intelligent design Um, For example, intelligence is the only known cause of such Information. Two, biology contains examples of specified complexity, for example in the large amounts of functional information at the origin of life, uh, or in the origination of different animal body plans in things like the Cambrian explosion, when lots of major types of body plan of life forms came into existence in a geologically speaking narrow window of time or in irreducibly complex biomolecular machines uh, in our cells. From those two premises it follows, three, therefore biology contains a reliable indicator of intelligent design, and that the best explanation of life includes an appeal to intelligent design. It's not saying the physical causes of the physical world don't do anything, but it's saying they're not enough to explain all the data that we observe and that the best explanation uh, of what we observe will include an appeal to some kind of intelligent oversight design uh, in explaining what we see Now Dawkins says the complexity, and remember he's already kind of cashed out that he means by this basically what we mean by specified complexity. The specified complexity of the living body is so mind-shattering that the temptation to buckle at the knees and succumb to a non-explanation, by which he means something religious, is almost overwhelming, he admits. But humanity's best estimate of the probability of divine creation dropped steeply in 1859 when The Origin of Species was published. And it has declined steadily during the subsequent decades, as evolution consolidated itself from plausible theory in the 19th century to established fact today. Well, we may have already seen some some question marks over that kind of statement. But if we come back to the, the argument that we're making, and. What Dawkins' kind of design denial is, is a, a denial of this premise that biology contains specified complexity. And as with the fine tuning, he would basically say, yeah, biology contains things that are functionally specified, but they're not complex enough. They're not unlikely enough to mean that an appeal to design is the best explanation. And that's because we've got this better, alternative, simpler explanation Darwinian evolution. Note, Darwin's blind watchmaker hypothesis really is key here. So Dawkins argues, um, particularly in um, work like uh, Climbing Mountain Probable, but in other places as well, Uh, so he argues that the larger the leap through genetic space, as it were, the lower the probability that the resulting change will be viable, let alone an improvement. Hence, evolution must, in general, be a cruel... This gradual, incremental crawl through genetic space. It doesn't work in a series of leaps, because if your leaps are too fortuitous, that looks too much like design, yeah. which we're trying to explain away here. So Dawkins likens this kind of gradual approach to getting biological complexity, to climbing, and he has this image of Mount Improbable, the, the cliff of improbable complexity on one side of Mount Improbable can't be conquered without design. It's this sheer cliff of stupendous complexity. But around the back side of Mount Improbable, supposedly, there is this series of individually and jointly, not too unlikely, selectable steps leading all the way to the summit. Now Dawkins asserts, and I use the word advisably, that although we've no idea what gradual, not too unlikely path organisms took up Mount Improbable, they must have done so. Quote, however daunting the sheer cliffs that the adaptive mountain first presents, graded ramps can be found the other side and the peak eventually scaled by this natural Darwinist process. Well, how does Dawkins know that these graded ramps can be found without finding them? says without stirring from our chair like in an ancient greek thinker now without stirring from our chair we can see that it must be so because nothing except gradual accumulation could in principle do the job question what job answer the job of explaining life without appealing to design so he's begging the question here in favour of the Darwinist theory. Clearly gradual accumulation is not the only possible explanation which therefore must be true because Dawkins is presenting the Darwinian blind watchmaker thesis as an alternative to design. So Dawkins is begging the question in favour of his evolutionary theory and against design on the basis of this assumed gradual route. He says, there cannot have been intermediate stages that were not beneficial on this assumed pathway. There's got to be a series of advantages all the way, because you have to have something selectable. If you can't think of one when well, that's your problem, Not natural selections problem. Well, I suppose that is a sort of matter of faith on my part, since the theory is so coherent and so powerful. So, in order to try and explain something with specified complexity, or irreducible complexity as a kind of subset of that, like the bacterial flagellum there, we have, in fact, an appeal to no apparent gradual route. As Behe was pointing out, um, you might at best have a very unlikely circuitous route, but no indirect route. But the more unlikely your circuitous route becomes, the more that becomes plausible as an example of specified complexity. So here's a critique of Dawkins from uh, a Nobel Prize winning theoretical physicist called Brian Josephson. In a letter to the editor, he pointed out that in books such as The Blind Watchmaker, a crucial part of the argument concerns whether there exists a continuous path leading from the origins of life to man, each step of which is both favoured by natural selection and small enough to have happened by chance. It appears to be presented as a matter of logical necessity that such a path exists. But actually, there is no such logical necessity. Rather, commonly made assumptions in evolution require the existence of such a path. But we can question those assumptions and not beg the question in favour of a particular answer, rather than looking at what answer does the actual empirical data suggest. And indeed, concerning, of course, the origin of life able to undergo any material process of evolution, Dawkins' appeal to natural selection is simply a distraction. You, you can't evolve something capable of evolving in the first place. You have to have something capable of evolving before it can undergo a process, any process of, of evolving. But things that are capable of evolving by that Kind of Darwinian process are not, as we said, little lumps of protoplasm. (laughs) They are highly complex things involving information and irreducibly complex molecular machines, and so on and so forth. As Bradley Monton says, Darwinian evolution only comes into play once life already exists. Darwinian evolution doesn't explain, or even purport to explain, how life came to arise in the first place. Thomas Nagel again says, the origin of life remains a mystery, an event to which no significant probability can be assigned on the basis of what we know of the laws of physics and chemistry. From a 2018 article by Steele et al. in uh, Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology uh, talking about the cause of the Cambrian explosion, they say the transformation of an ensemble of appropriately chosen biological monomers, i.e. amino acids, nucleotides into a primitive living cell capable of further evolution Appears to require overcoming an information hurdle of super astronomical proportions. What a great phrase. An event that could not have happened within the time frame of the Earth, except we believe as a miracle. All laboratory experiments attempting to simulate such an event has so far led to dismal failure. So here's kind of where I would personally divide up the territory. I'd say we have this argument for intelligent design. We've got this criteria that seems reliable and some data that seems to pass it, and so there we have the idea that the best explanation of life includes an appeal to some kind of intelligence being involved in the process. And I would want to argue that it's entirely legitimate to call that Doing science. But then I would say, if you want to move on from there, you're getting into the realms of philosophy, into metaphysics. If you want to get to the conclusion, for example, that therefore the best explanation of life is theistic, even in a a general philosophical theism, well, you can't just make that leap. You need to add in another premise to get there. And that premise is going to have to be along these lines for the best explanation of premise three, that we have to include an appeal to some kind of intelligence in explaining the biological data. The best explanation of premise three is theistic. And you'd have to give reasons, arguments, why you think that is the case. For example, uh, theism avoids problems that you can get into of infinite regress. So I suppose you could say, yes, absolutely. Life on Earth is the product of intelligent design. It was the aliens from Alpha Centauri. Okay, maybe, could be true. But that does raise questions about what kind of thing are the aliens from Alpha Centauri? And wouldn't wouldn't they be the kind of thing that does exhibit the same kind of specified complexity that requires a design explanation if they're material-embodied creatures and who depend for their existence upon a pre-fine-tuned cosmos and so on. Uh, So maybe we are the children of the Anfer but don't they need... It's the kind of argument that Dawkins wanted to pose of the god explanation, but in this case it would actually apply. (laughs) We don't need to equivocate over our terms here. Um, So we avoid all those kind of regress issues going straight to a theistic explanation. And, of course, that explanation comports with other evidence, other arguments, like I mentioned earlier, the the moral argument or arguments from Christian revelation or the ontological argument or so forth. And if you can support that, then you can say, here's another example where what I think we can legitimately call a scientific hypothesis gives you reason to believe a premise in a philosophical argument for God, just like with the Kalam argument and with the the fine-tuning cosmic version of this kind of intelligent design argument. And put them all together and you have a very uh, powerful argument for some kind of non-physical intelligent creator of the universe who was also to some degree involved in life on earth beyond just setting up the initial conditions and letting the laws of physics run in, in some fashion. But again, if you want to specify you know, which you know, theism, you need an argument. If you want to specify which kind of theism, you need a further argument and so on.